0: good morning. morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, If you are new to LifePoint, uh, my name is Ed Travers and I'm the teaching pastor here at this campus, and I'm going to ask you to do one thing uh, today. If you would take out your phone and turn it on to the QR code in front of you, put on the camera, put on that little QR code on a chair in front of you, that'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. All the information about our church uh, that you might want to learn about is right there uh, on that page. There's also uh, sermon notes you can take. They're interactive, so you can uh, put down your notes if you like, and you can send those to yourself. You can invite a friend if you want, find out about upcoming events. There's also the guest information button. Hit that button. Fill out a little bit of information, and then down below, there are five ministries we support from all of our campuses. Uh, check one of those boxes of whichever one is of interest to you, and we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry. Uh, along with all the other guests, you can be a part of uh, you know, making a dent and helping out some of those ministries this, this week and this month. So uh, that's that's a great thing to do. I'm going to say to everyone who is part of LifePoint, this this is your home. If you haven't downloaded the app, I'm going to ask you to do that. Go to your search store, whatever it is, and your app store, and, and look for for the LifePoint Ohio, LifePoint Ohio, and find the little blue starburst. Download that. When we do our next series in January, we are going to have a devotional that goes along with the series found right there on the app. It'll be the first thing you see. Uh, so I want you guys to all be able to kind of follow along with that come January. That said, uh, we, are, we are starting a new series today, of our Christmas series. We're calling Uncommon Crown, and it's going to be really great. But I was thinking Um, You guys know Christmas Eve is coming up. And you might start making plans soon, or you might think, who should I invite? I know many of you are making lists right now, and you're praying over your list of people you're going to invite, people like neighbors and friends and relatives and, and classmates, uh, everyone who, who maybe needs to hear about Jesus, you can invite them on Christmas Eve. And there are these little cards you can find in the lobby. You can grab these things, and you can hand them out to your friends, or maybe take a picture of them, put them on social media. There's actually something you can do through our website uh, to actually have a little bit nicer copy to put on your social media, Um, but these are nice invite cards. There's also a few more yard signs out there. So when you leave, you can see those yard signs. Feel free to take one of those. uh, If you've got a yard that people drive by or walk by, place that in the yard and let people know about what's happening at LifePoint. The services will be 2. 3.30 3.30 and 5. So, the 2 and 3.30 will have uh, normal kids like, like every Sunday that we have here. The 5 o'clock service, we're only going to have the juniors and uh, the littles so that the grade school kids will be in the room with us at the 5 o'clock service. Uh, so, that said, 2, 3.30 and 5. Invite your friends. It's going to be a blast. All right. So, when I was walking into the room today, someone said to me, do you know what happens at 12.15? And I'm thinking, uh, no, like, uh, but that's when they're going to decide the Buckeyes' fate. Did you guys know this? At 12.15, they decide, are the Buckeyes going to be in the top four? And it looks like that's the case. So if you're a Buckeyes fan, and many of you are, then you're probably going to have this, you know, one of the college football playoff positions. So the question is, do you want three or four? Because the number one team in the land is, is, is Georgia. They've been the best team in, in, you know, in college football all year long. The number two team is the team up north. So those are the top two teams, right? So let me ask you something. Do you hope to get the three seed and play Michigan? If you're like, I want a rematch against Michigan. That's what you hope for. Kind of raise it up. I want to see. How many of you guys would be completely nervous to play Michigan again? It's the same. Okay, yeah. All right. How many of you like, I mean, I hope we get Georgia. We need Georgia. Like, how many of you think, man, it would have been best to play Utah in some bowl game somewhere and maybe, <laughs> like, go out on a win? Right. I hear you. I hear you. Everyone wants, Some people in the room want Alabama to get in. But that said, here's the thing about hope. Hope is a funny thing. You know, sports are, are really... Just, their entertainment is all they really are. If you're involved in sports, they're really good for, for your mental health, for your physical health. I mean, it's fun to be involved in sports, but to watch sporting events, it's really just entertainment, but it's fun, right? And we, you know, hope is a big deal. You love to watch how players and, and teams go and whatnot. When I was a kid, the National Basketball Association finals weren't even shown on primetime television. They were shown on tape delay. So... When I started becoming a fan, I was like 10 years old, 1980, and the, uh, the Celtics just got Larry Bird, and the Lakers got Magic Johnson, and this was like the big era that the NBA started to kind of kick off. And because it was Boston and L.A., those two big markets, it really kind of sparked this incredible um, you know, popularity that happened in the NBA. At the same time, in college basketball... All the players had to stay at least three years in in college. So when you saw them on March Madness, you would kind of get to know the players year in and year out. And you'd almost become fans of these college players. But here's what would happen. By the time the NBA draft took place, you knew the college players really well. You had watched them for a couple years, and and ESPN had started broadcasting games from all over the country, and now if you're a sports fan, you could watch basketball all year, you know, of all these different teams you wouldn't normally get to see, and you just really kind of fell in love and followed these players in college. So when the draft happened, there was this great hope. In 1983, now you have to be of my generation or a little bit older or whatnot, but you might remember a player named Ralph Sampson. He was seven foot four, and he played for Virginia. He was the player of the year, and everyone thought he was going to be the next great big man. And so he went number one to Houston in the draft that year, and everybody was like, "This is going to be amazing for the NBA." Amazing. The next year, Houston had the number one pick again, and they took a guy named Hakeem Olajuwon. You guys remember that? So Houston had the twin towers, and there was huge hope. That same draft, Hakeem went out number three in the draft with some kid from North Carolina named Michael Jordan. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but there. The next year's draft, though, was the pinnacle draft moment of all time. Because there was a kid in college named Patrick Ewing, and don't show the the video yet or the clip yet, but the NBA so wanted him to go to a big market team, they actually changed the draft. There was so much hope around this kid that they changed the draft to a lottery system, which meant you didn't have to be the worst team in the NBA to get the first pick. You just had to be one of the worst teams, and it went into this big lottery system, and then in 1985, the winner, we the New York Knicks, big market team, so there's a lot of conspiracy. Like, how did that really happen? But Patrick Ewing was the great hope for New York. Now, I bring all this up because this series we're calling Uncommon Crown is that Jesus isn't a typical king. He actually came to establish his kingdom in our hearts. Now, the last series we did, we talked about the kingdom of God a lot, that the kingdom of God isn't, you know, him trying to advance the borders of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is that The heart of Christ gets in our hearts when we realize that we're sinners. We realize that that we have no hope of connecting to God and then we see that the great great rescuer Jesus has come to save us from our sins. And when we realize that and we submit our heart to Christ as, as the king of our hearts, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. But he's not just looking to gather people. He wants a people unto himself that will love him, that he can love and in relationship That's what God has always wanted. And the people of Israel had understood kingdoms. They understood lots of kings in their history. And we're going to talk about that in this series a little bit. But the question is if if God wants to establish his kingdom in our heart, how would that provide hope? You ever thought about that? So, we know what it's like to hope, okay, let's hope we get a rematch against Michigan. Wouldn't it be awesome to, to, you know, to put a loss on them, right? Like, we understand hope of thinking, okay, there's something better happening. I have an inheritance coming, or, or maybe I'm going to graduate and get this great job, or maybe I have, you know, my wedding is coming up. Like, there are times when we feel incredible hope in the world. Maybe it's Christmas time for many of you. For some of you, maybe not so much, but Christmas becomes that time of hope every year. You, you can't wait to get family together and reunite and celebrate, what would it look like to have hope in the kingdom of God? The same kind of hope. In fact, wouldn't it be even more powerful if God himself literally established that kingdom in our heart? That's what we're going to talk about today. And no matter where you're at, wherever your faith journey has taken you, my hope is that you will find hope in Christ today. Let's take a second, let's just pray real quick, and we're gonna dig in. Now, Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to see something that you want us to see today, that you would teach us something about you, and, and help us see what we need to see about ourselves. But God, through your Holy Spirit and through your word, I pray you would speak to us today. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open it up to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at a few verses. And some of these are going to be really familiar to you, but some of them maybe not so much. So I'm going to try to explain them. But there's some truths that I want you to see about this passage. And the first truth is this, is that we need to recognize God's incredible promise. If we're going to have hope in God, we, un- we need to understand and recognize the promise that God has given to us. In Isaiah 9, it was written about 700 B.C., now, when Israel had come up out of Egypt, remember with Moses, he came up out of Egypt, then they, became, they eventually went into their land, and they were ruled by a series of judges, and basically, God was their king, and the judge would listen to God, and, and the people would sometimes follow and sometimes not so much, but God would always provide this, this rescuer, this judge who would lead the people back to God. Well, eventually, when they, when they really kind of established their borders, they said, we want a king, and Samuel, the prophet, was talking to God and said, this is, this is crazy, and God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me as their king. So he gave them King Saul, and that led to King David and King Solomon and a series of kings, and some of those kings really loved God but the majority of those kings did not. And eventually what happened is they turned away from God and they broke into two different countries. A civil war took place, Israel and Judah. And at this time, 700 BC, God was telling the prophet Isaiah kind of some bad things were gonna happen because the people had turned away from God. And the Assyrians were this military machine that was north of them that was ready to come in and invade Israel. And he gives them a really bad report in chapter 8 saying it's going to turn, turn into some really bad time for Israel. But in, in chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into the contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he was made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Uh, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, darkness on them has shown light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod for his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to malt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, that language is poetic, but it's talking about a truth of what's happening in Israel at the time, and it's a promise that's actually for the generations. So when he starts in there by saying there's going to be no gloom or anguish, remember he had just said in chapter 8, it's going to be bad. There's going to be a time of darkness for the people of Israel, but... There's going to be hope coming. There's going to be a time when when there's going to be no more gloom, no more anguish. And the former time he brought into contempt in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are two of the 12 sons of Israel. So two of the northern tribes were taken into captivity first. But that was on the northern part of Israel, up near where the, the Gentiles would come in. The nations would come into the land. There's going to be a joy that comes. There's going to be someone who comes with great light. Someone who's going to bring joy and increase the nation. The nation's going to expand. They're going to have a day like when they would, you know, they would get the harvest in. And they would be so overwhelmed with the joy of getting the harvest in. Of this plentiful harvest every year they would get. It's going to be like that kind of a joy the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, there's gonna be, he's gonna basically make it so that he's easy to follow and he's gonna get rid of all the oppressors. It says, just like in the day of Midian. Do you, you might remember that if you're like a Bible nerd, like you remember, okay, the Midian, the Midianites, who were they? Do you remember Gideon? Remember during the time of the judges, the Midianites had come and put Israel under oppression and Gideon was this guy who wasn't really thought much of and, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, mighty warrior Gideon, he's like, you know, but God chose Gideon to be the judge that was going to kind of break the oppression of the Midianites. So when he's saying, look, you're going to have someone who's going to break the oppression of all of your enemies. All of this stuff about the warrior and the, the, the garments rolled up, they're going to be used because there's, there's not going to be any threat to this king. No more threat. Imagine that kind of person who's coming, this promise that everything's going to be better. Everything's going to be broken Now, if you were reading this back in that day, you would have said, okay, so we're going to get rid of the Assyrians? Well, they didn't didn't break through all of the captivity for several hundred years. He wasn't necessarily talking just about that day. He's talking about a future coming king who's going to set everything right. That's a king that you and I put our, our heart into. And you're thinking, well, where do you get that? Well, if you flip over to Matthew, then you see uh, Jesus had just been baptized. He went out into the wilderness for, for 40 days, and he had, had, was tempted by the devil. It was a time of preparation for his ministry. What's the very first thing that happened when he got back? In chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, talking about John the Baptist, when he heard that John the Baptist was arrested... He withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, this is chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region, shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Sound familiar? Isaiah's talking about someone who would come 700 years later. He's talking about Christ. The great promise that's given to all of us is that a Christ will come, a Messiah will come into the world, and it's not just going to be for the nation of Israel. See, it's going to expand beyond that to all of the nations, the Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, who, who hasn't heard of the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob someone who was raised in in pagan cultures could one day hear about this God because God wants to establish his kingdom in our hearts through the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. That's an incredible hope that we need. And here's what I've learned about life. You need hope. Every one of us at some point needs hope. Think about the times in your life when you have been in a situation that is very difficult. When you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you can get through it. Some of you, like, it was study after study after study, test after test after test, but you knew graduation was coming, right? Some of you, it was, you know, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to, and it's going to, you know, whatever it is, that's when I'm going to be free of that, whatever that is. And you also know, some of you understand this well, what it's like to not have hope. The destructiveness of what happens in the heart of someone without hope at all. And this is the thing, life is tough. There are things in life that we have to endure and we need hope. And this is what God is promising. I have someone I'm bringing into the world that will set the world free of oppression. And do you know what that oppression is? It's sin. Sin is the number one chain maker of all time because it chains you personally and it breaks everything around you. And so we live in a world that's broken by sin, and one day Christ will break it forever. And to anyone who hears the message of the gospel and receives hope, the hope of the gospel, they know that sin will one day be broken completely over their life, they will walk freely into the kingdom of God without any chains on them. We need that kind of hope. I, um, I have a, a really interesting uh, family. Uh, my mom and, had, three, had two brothers and a sister. It's a picture of my mom. And so my mom's there closest to me and my grandma and then my uncle Joe, Sue, and then my uncle John on the far right. This picture was taken probably 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, they were just a sweet family. My uncle, Joe, on the far left, he, he found the Lord early, and he became a missionary. He served in Ireland and in uh, New Zealand for most of his adult life, raised his family there, and he just, he heard the message of the gospel, embraced it, and it just took over his life. Uh, my uncle, John, on the far right there, he heard the message and believed it was true. He just never submitted his heart to Christ for the majority of his life, and, you know, I... I knew John, I knew he was a really strong guy. He was a very smart guy. I loved being around him because he was fun. You know, at get-togethers and family reunions. Um, He was a high school uh, wrestling champion in the state of Ohio when he was in high school. And I started wrestling when I was in high school and I remember kind of like tussling around with him and he grabbed me and I remember thinking, he's an older guy and yet he completely controlled me. And I'm thinking, I'm young and strong and practice every day and this guy is dominating me. But my uncle John passed away a few weeks ago. He had been suffering for a while, and so it was expected. Um, and I got a phone call, and they said, you know, will, will you do the funeral? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So on my way down to Logan, Ohio, and, and I knew some family were, were going to be there. Um, and I'm, when you go to a funeral, and everyone who's been to a funeral, you know, it, it's not fun. You know, you don't go there. You know, sometimes you laugh, and it's fun to break the tension To you talk to someone about a story or a thing, and it helps to relieve the tension to have a good laugh at a funeral. But, but people are hurting, you know, people who, who love someone that they've lost or they know someone who's lost someone. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? Well, I, we go down to the funeral and, uh, you know, people were telling stories and whatnot. And my uncle Joe uh, got up to tell a story about his brother, John. And I did not know this story. So I was really kind of just keying in. And he said, you know, my brother, John, he was an ornery guy. And he started telling some stories about him and his orneriness as a young man. And, and we all knew those stories. He was a fun guy. He goes, but John knew the truth. He just never submitted his life to Christ. And, and he, you know, Joe went overseas for all those years, but when he retired from all that, he came back home and was able to spend time with his brother, his, his best buddy, you know, growing up. And so he was able to spend time with him and he often talked to him about Jesus. Now, John's wife uh, was very interested and would always ask questions of, of my Uncle Joe, but John would just quietly listen. And they used to hunt together. They would be in a blind for hours on end together and they would always try to be quiet. But there were times when, you know, they would have conversations and Joe told the story about my uncle John asking him or saying to him, Joe, you know, I recognize that God has been in your life, Joe. I know that because you submitted your heart to Christ, I could see how God was in your life here and here and here. And I know God has blessed you because of the way you submitted your life to him. And Joe said, that's true, John. What about you? But John was not ready. These were both older gentlemen at this time. And, and John says, I'm, I'm not ready. Several years later, they're in a blind, same situation. They're trying to be quiet because no one wants to you know, spook the deer or whatever they're hunting. And uh, John looks over at Joe and he says, Joe, I get it. I get it now. I understand what you've known all these years. I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. When Joe told this story, it was like, it's like a warm blanket, you know what I'm saying? Like a moment where God was saying, yeah, that's, you're gonna see him again. He's received me just like you have. You're gonna walk with John. You're gonna laugh with John again. You're gonna tussle around with John again. You see, we need a hope in our life at the times when it's worse, right? We need a hope when it's a struggle. We need a hope in our lives all the time. And God is promising us an incredible hope of eternity with him through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of king we have. And, and here's the thing. We need to know that this king has a name like no other. And here's where we get to a passage that you're going to be more familiar with. In verse 6, he starts talking about this name of this coming king who's not named yet, right? Verse 6. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So unto us a child is born. This goes back two chapters in chapter seven, verse 14. Isaiah had already told them that there's gonna be a virgin who's gonna give birth and that child's name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that makes sense now. This child is, is given and the government shall be on his shoulders, meaning he's gonna be a king. What's his name though? Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Isn't that an interesting name for a king? Why does a king become your counselor? And yet that's who this king is. You're a counselor. Can you imagine? Now, listen, I need counsel all the time. I'm always wondering, like, when I was a kid, I thought parents knew what they were doing. I'm a parent now, and I realize parents guess all the time. <laughs> like, I think this is going to work. I'll look at Timmy and say, what do you think about this? How should we parent them? How should we discipline them? How should we encourage them? How should we be... Like, we're, we're guessing all the time. I'm guessing a lot in life, like, how do I become a good pastor? How do I become good financially? How do I become good with my health? I need people in my life to tell me, imagine... Imagine the king of kings himself wants you to talk to him, and he wants to give you wisdom. He wants to be your counselor in every area of your life. That's the king we're talking about here. He wants to be your counselor, and he's a wonderful counselor because he knows how things are made. He knows everyone's heart around you, and he knows the future. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. That's a term to deity, that this isn't just some king who's going to come in and establish his kingdom and be gone This is a king who has the power to carry out anything he chooses because he's God himself. He's a mighty king. He's everlasting father. What The term means father of deity, father of eternity, the prince of peace. This isn't a warring king. This isn't a king who's like, we're going to take over that kingdom. We're going to take over the world. You know, let's go. That's, That's not what his kingdom's about. His kingdom... Is going to be about peace. Why? Because his name is the Prince of Peace. His kingdom is going to be known for peace. There's going to be a time. There's going to be a moment where he's going to establish his kingdom. And it's going to be a a moment. It's going to be difficult. But then his kingdom will be peaceful throughout eternity. That's who we're talking about. This Prince of Peace. Now... Here's the thing, and I think Caleb had it right when he said, you know, it's, it's hard to distinguish the difference between a, a Christmas carol and a worship song. Because Christmas, carol, Christmas carols become part of the fabric of our traditions. We sing these songs, they come on the radio, you know, we remember them from the time we were kids, if you grew up that way. And, and you hear the, the songs and they bring back a nostalgic feeling in your heart in the same way that most Christmas traditions do. And that's the problem with Christmas is because there's so much nostalgia tied to it that sometimes it keeps us from thinking about the very king we're worshiping and that he came into the world. The virgin was with birth. Like she gave birth to a a child named Emmanuel, God with us. And I think the other problem is that deep down, you and I have a tendency to fight his kingship over our life. Deep down, we want to be in control of our life because we have a vision of our future and a vision of things that we want that might not exactly coincide with what God wants. And even if that's true, maybe not even necessarily because we don't know exactly what God may want for our future. We want to be in control of our future. And there's also something in us that just flat, just doesn't want to be told what to do. Have you ever noticed that? I'm driving on 315 North. Tammy's in the car and we're driving north and I realize my exit is coming up very soon. So I'm like, I put on my turn signal, I look over, mirror, mirror, shoulder, I'm like, I'm looking, and I see there's a car on my quarter panel just far enough back that I realize I'm either going to have to speed up or slow down, so initially I start to gun it, because I'm going to get over, and I start to speed up, well, the person decides to speed up exactly the same pace I am, and so I'm speeding up, they're speeding up, and they're really in the same spot, which means I can't just get over, you know, I'm going to cut them off, so now I'm kind of stuck. So now I hit the brake, like, I've got to slow down, because the exit's there, and I've got to down. So I hit the brake, and the car goes by me, and the lady who was driving let me know she was number one. I thought, I see that you're number one. Like, I get it. I'm not even competing with you, but it really would have been nice if you had let me in, and I didn't have to go through this. What is that? What is that in us? It's really silly, right? And yet, there's something in us that wants to be in control don't take my lane don't you come over here this is my lane don't you try to get in front of me or like there's something in us that fights against the kingship of God because I want to be in control and this is the problem and this is the problem that you know you actually know this you may not admit it but you know it deep down you're not a good king You're not even a good king of your own life. Here's why. Because you look at the things you want and you have have an ethic in your life as to what is right and wrong and how the world should be. And justice is a big deal. The problem is that we can't even keep our own justice. This is why we feel shame. We look at our life and we go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And here's the other thing about your kingship over your own life. Isn't it true that the things you've done in your life that you look back on and think, I don't want to think about that? I, I don't want to think about, I, that's my biggest regret. I don't want to think about that. Do you know what? At that moment, you actually made the decision to do that. Do you know why? Because you were the king over your own life. Deep down, you want to be in control. And if you had the ability, if you could, you would take com- complete control of your life if you could pull off the very things you want in your heart. The problem is that your heart can be very deceptive because it's broken by sin and we end up trying to do things that end up becoming our shame. That's the problem. You see, God wants to establish his kingship in our heart, but he's a good king. He actually wants what's best for us. He wants to protect us. He's not a king who's trying to take things away from us or take advantage of us. He's a king that wants the very best for us. Here's the last thing. Deep down... Deep down, we have to admit that this is the kingdom we all really long for. This is really what we long for. We may not understand it, but deep down, I'm, I'm gonna explain what his kingdom is like. And deep down, we have to admit this is what we long for. Verse seven says this Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. So imagine a kingdom that comes in and will always have peace no more wars, no more problems. Of of people fighting against each other, that's gone. Of the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. For this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, okay, when you think about a kingdom, how are kingdoms established? Usually with might. Uh, And if you have enough power, a king will come into power. And then he's going to pass that kingship down to son after son after son after after son. And that monarchy is going to rule based on the ability to keep the might over the people. And that king will keep his power if he has the might. And he will use the people for his uh, his own agenda, his own purposes. That's how kingdoms typically work. This king is not like that at all. This king wants to establish his kingdom. And what is it? What's the mark of his... His, his, his kingdom is justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. Deep down, do you know what you want for your life? You want justice. Deep down, when you think about people who get away scot-free and, and they didn't deserve that, deep down it rubs you the wrong way. When someone has hurt you, deep down you you wish they would repent and, and apologize to you. When you look at how the world works, when you look at how people can take advantage of others, you wish that justice were true. This is the only problem with justice. (laughs) This is the problem with justice. If God looked at your life and my life and said, okay, let me give you justice. This is the problem. Sin separates you from God. One sin. Just one. Do you know why? Because God is completely holy. And he's perfect So the kingdom of God is eternal, and it's going to be holy forever. There'll be no sin forever. So what happens if you and I have sinned one time? Let's say some of you in the room are like super great people. Like you're just awesome. But you have sinned, maybe just one. And here's what we do. We all look at someone else and think, well, I don't sin as much as them. And then in our mind, we're like, that's justice. That's not justice. Every sin should be paid for. And we have a king that actually decided to pay for it himself. Justice in the kingdom of God is that God actually decided to make sure all sin would be paid for once and for all. He did that on a cross. That's the justice of God. That's how the kingdom is established. And justice and with righteousness. Righteous means this, you're in right standing with God. Now, we all understand this because we know what it's like to be in relationship to someone else. And we have something between you in relationship, like there's some kind of a slight or a problem or something happened, you know, you lent them your lawnmower and they brought it back, but it was completely broken, right? You ever had a situation like that? You know, someone uh, you lent money to decided to forget that you lent it to them and said, well, I thought that was a gift. And you know, you're now all of a sudden there's tension. Just no, just don't just don't lend people money. <laughs> don't do that. Save yourself the heartache. Give it to them or not. Here's a here's problem. We understand what happens when there's a problem, a slight, a situation. Someone said something about you. Someone, you know, offended you. Unless you make it right, you have a hard time being in a relationship with that person. You see, righteousness means that we can have right standing with God. There's nothing between us. So when I said that we're not our own best king, it's because we have a tendency, because our hearts are corrupted, we have a tendency to fight against his leadership, and then we do things that we end up going, man, I shouldn't have done that. And we know it in our soul because we can feel it from God, and we're not in right standing with him because that's what sin does. Well, the grace of God, because justice has been paid, he offers you his grace and mercy that he would wash away your sins completely. Not like you have to like every time you gotta figure out how to get this washed away. No, one time on the cross he washes away. Righteousness means that you've received his grace and mercy over your life. You've accepted his pardon and all of your sin but from the time you were born to the time you die, all of it is washed away completely and you are in right standing with God. That's the kind of king we're talking about. Justice, absolutely. Everything will be just and yet everything Everyone has an opportunity to receive the righteousness of Christ. That's the kingdom of God. And deep down, deep down in our souls, there's something else that longs for this. This is why we can have real, you know, just incredible success in the world and still not be fulfilled. This is why we can do incredible things and feel like in a moment completely satisfied. And the next minute go, huh. for, for you Buckeye fans, it wasn't that long ago you won a national title. Why can't you just be happy with that? Why does a loss to Michigan sting so bad? Like, It's like that in life, isn't it? You think you're going to have this thing, and you think it's going to be fulfilling, and it just doesn't work like that. I have a guy in my life, uh, His guy uh, in his mid-40s, uh, he was a successful guy, he had multiple degrees, uh, very successful in his job, uh, had, had plenty of money, that wasn't his issue, he had a nice place to live, and, and he had a great wife, had two great kids, um, he had it all, but he wasn't satisfied, and so he kept longing for the next thing, and he kept thinking, well, this is what I need, and so he would just chase after it, and he would attain it, typically, because he's just a really good achiever, and he's a brilliant guy, so he would achieve whatever it is he kind of put his heart on, and he would get it. It didn't stop him from having you know, struggles along the way and strife with people. That happened regularly. In fact, he found himself going to court against some neighbor just over a slight. Isn't that weird? Because in his mind, he was a really smart guy and how can anyone you know, be against him? So this guy must be wrong. You gotta take him to court and prove it. Like, that's his heart. In his mid-40s, he found himself in a moment where he thought, I need to make something right with God and me. And he kept kind of looking and longing to find an answer for his soul. And when he heard the message of the gospel and believed it, he he knew it was true growing up. He had heard the message growing up, but he never had a time where he said, you know what? This is me. I'm the one who sinned against God, and I need a savior. And in that moment, he finally realized it, and he said, you know, I'm I'm gonna submit to Christ. And this is the interesting thing, is now as I get to watch his life, here's how I hear him talk. He goes, man, I was so dumb. I'm like, what happened, man? He goes, well, I just chased after this. I chased after this. Thinking this was gonna fulfill me, it never worked. And I'm looking at him thinking, man, if I succeeded on half the things you succeeded on, I probably would be pretty satisfied. He says, look, it was one after another after another. It doesn't matter. The goalpost always moves. It just never brings peace. He goes, but now, and it's interesting to hear him because he understands. He says, now I have peace and I can't explain it. And he's gone through some hard things in the last several years. I don't know if you guys heard about the global pandemic. He went through that. He lost a job, and this guy had a great job. He lost that. I watched him go through these things with an incredible peace in his heart. And when I would ask him about it, he would just say, Look, man, I know, I know Christ has a purpose in this. He had a peace in his life. Do you know why? Because Jesus is his king. So here's the deal. If you came into the room and you're like me, you're a follower of Christ, and you would say, yeah, he's my king. Well, we sing the songs up here? You know, there's something in you that wells up like, yes, he's my king. Here's what happens to me. Let me ask if it happens to you. In me, I'm always trying to reestablish kingship over my life. And it's always battling this Holy Spirit in my life that says, no, no, Jesus is your king. I'm like, yes, I submit to Jesus. But I want to have control. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Here's what I find is that God always says, okay. Fine, you want to be in control of that. I'll just let you do that. It doesn't really work very well. And I think this whole message, this whole time of year is a reminder that we have a hope in Christ that's better than a hope even in myself. And it's a time to submit in humility and say, okay, all right, Jesus, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to just trust and listen for your way because you are the king. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as is in heaven. God, please come be first in my life. And it's a time for people like me to resubmit all the time. Do you feel that? If you're here and you would say, you know what? I don't know I've ever found that kind of peace. I've never really allowed Jesus Christ to come in and become the king of my heart. If you feel that tension, then you need to do what my friend did. You need to simply submit your heart to Christ and receive his grace and mercy so that he, that will become the payment of your sins. Those will be washed away. You, you'll be in right standing with God. Wherever you're at, we need to take a step towards Jesus today. So let's do this. Let's take a second and pray. And um, I think what, what God wants for all of us this year is that when he is the king of our heart, he becomes a beacon, he becomes a beacon of hope for the people around us. So let's stand, let's pray together, and let's, let's pray that he will use us as a beacon of hope this Christmas season. And as we get, as we get ready to pray here in a second, I'm just gonna prompt you a little bit and, and we're gonna sing a song, but if there's something that's really heavy on your heart and we start singing, just head back to our Next Steps area. That's in my back left of the room, back corner of the room. There'll be somebody there that can pray with you and um, it might be helpful to you just to, just to let someone else know and, and let them pray. But for everyone else, just take a second kind of close your eyes and kind of bow your head and talk to God. If you've been in a season where you feel that wrestling of wanting to be in control of your life and you feel the anxiety that comes with that of trying to be in control and thinking about where you're heading in life and thinking, I want to this and I want that. And you've not been asking God, God, what do you want? I'm gonna ask that you would do that just now. Just say to God, God, I need to start listening to your voice, listening to your leadership in my life and I submit the leadership of my life over to you again today. I'm asking you to take the rightful place of king in my heart. Just tell him that. And if you came in today and you would say, you know, I don't know that I've ever prayed and asked Jesus to forgive my sins and to come into my life, if you've never done that, this is what that looks like. You just say to him right now, say, God in heaven, I know that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I know that he rose from the grave. I believe that. Tell the father that. And because Jesus is alive, you can say to him right now, Jesus, I'm asking you, would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my life, Jesus? Will you help me to follow you? Will you be the king of my heart? Just tell him that. You need to know that little step of faith is all that he requires. When it comes to becoming righteous, it's your faith in what Jesus did on the cross that makes you right with the Father in heaven. That's what he asked from you. And now that he's your king, you just want to follow him. Whenever he gives you a step to take, you follow him. And I would say that I want to help you take one step today. That if, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to take a step with the Lord Something very simple. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I'm gonna ask you to do that just by simply raising your hand up so I can see you. You acknowledge before me. The angels will see that. God will see that. If that's you, anywhere in the room, you just prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand high enough I can see it. Yes, I see you there. May you raise Lower your hand. God, I thank you for being a God that loves us and you know how much our hearts are just not inclined to follow you. Honestly, God, deep down, I think I wanna be the king because I think I know best. And yet I look in the mirror and God, I know I don't know best. This is the tension I feel in my own heart. And so God, I wanna submit my life to you. God, I pray for people like me in the room that they would be able to just slide over ownership to you. God, help us to have that step that we would simply follow you. And God, I pray for those in the room who are taking their first step with you, just that they they believe, God, but now they need to see you in their life, to sense your, your spirit in their heart, to feel your word come alive in them. God, walk with them this Christmas season. It's in your name we pray.